Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I'm going to pick back up on this three-part series that I've been working on here. Started it last week, uh, and the three parts are the three rules of investing that I've developed over my 35 years of doing this. And rule number one, which we covered last week, was never lose money. Now, I'm not going to go into that whole rule again because I spent a whole day on it, so you can go back and pick that up off of uh, my podcast. Today's rule, rule number two, is there must be cash flow. So, Let's just place this into perspective. The first thing you're going to have to do if you're ever going to be financially free, if you're ever going to be financially successful, if you're ever going to be wealthy, and you can pick whichever one of those three you're aiming for, is you got to not lose money. I mean, if you put your money in something like the stock market and it goes down, uh, you're never going to get anywhere. I know people that saved money for years and years and years and years and years and then lost it good portions of it in the stock market. Now, one time is fool me once, shame on you. The second and third time is when it usually breaks people. And they go, well, you know what? I've almost got back all my money. Or I'm, even, I'm a little better off than I even was. I've gotten back all my money plus, you know, 10%. And then, boom, you get hit again. You lose 30 40%. <clears throat> that's not going to work. Okay? But the second thing that's even more important in my mind um, I don't know how it could be more important than losing all your money, so maybe I should rephrase that. That it is as important as it doesn't do you any good to have money if the money doesn't make you any money. And this is a psychological construct that people have a very difficult time wrapping their arms around because of what you've been taught your entire life. You've been taught that if somebody gives you a piece of paper for your money, and says, hi, look, you have X number of dollars on this piece of paper, and I come back to you, almost like a Ponzi scheme, almost like a scam artist. And I say to you, well, you had X, now you have X plus one. And what's funny is you actually believe there's X plus one in there. You're actually excited about that. But it's only a number on a piece of paper. You haven't received any money. In fact, you haven't even received your own money back yet. Will Rogers, one of the great philosophers, Texas philosophers, said once, he said, don't talk to me about the return on my investment until you talk to me about the return of my investment. So, again, don't lose money. But once you have gotten to the point where you say, OK, I'm not losing my money, although, again, many people do in the stock market and many other investments they get into, uh, both real estate investments included, by the way, um, people lose money. Now, once you get past that, you have to get past the second hurdle, and that is having money that doesn't earn you any money isn't doing you any good. So let's look at things from the reality in the very simple and simplistic point of view of a child. If a child saw candy in the cabinet, would they think they had candy? And the answer is no way. They want candy in their hand. Well, the same thing with you. When you see money on a piece of paper, 
do you feel like you have money? Well, some of you have been trained to believe that, that you have money. Others don't. So type A person, I say, I want the money in my hand so I can spend it. Type B people are willing to save. And that's a very large generalization, by the way. But within that generalization and or devoid of that generalization, the concept is some people are willing to save money and others aren't. So the people that are saving money really believe they're getting ahead because they believe that retirement or success is a pile of money. That if I have a large enough pile of money and anything goes wrong, I can pay for it, which is much better place to be. If I have a large pile of money and I lose my job, I can live off the pile of money, and that's pretty close to true to some degree, depending on how large the pile is and how heavy your expenses are. But what you don't understand is that unless you have cash flow, and I'm going to give you a term right now. A guy tried to quote it back to me the other day, and it was pretty difficult for him to quote it back, so I'll do it very slowly. Have regular, reoccurring, realized income. Let's talk about that for a second. Regular income means you get it on a regular basis. All right, I get paid every Friday, I get paid once a month, whatever it is. It doesn't matter if it's weekly, monthly, quarterly, semi-annually or annually. You get paid on a regular and reoccurring basis. Now, the farther apart those payments are, the more difficult it is for you to budget your life. So to get paid once a year is not nearly as easy to deal with as getting paid monthly. And getting paid monthly is not as easy to deal with as getting paid weekly, et cetera, et cetera. Most investors get paid monthly or quarterly is how we get paid in the deals we're in, right? Whether we own it ourselves and we take a profit at the end of the month after we bring in all our income, pay off all of our expenses and take a profit, or whether we're in an investment of some type with a syndicator of some type or a partner of some type, and we say, hey, we'll wait to the end of the month or wait to the end of the quarter, and um, we'll tally it all up in the quarter because you can have a good month, a bad month, and we don't want to take all the money out of the company when we have a bad or when we have a good month and then find out the next month we have a bad month and we don't have any cash to survive with. So it's more logical in a larger business to pay out distributions on a quarterly basis as opposed to a monthly basis. Now, why is that important? Well, let's talk about retirement, because that's what it's really all about. And first of all, I have to define my term of retirement. Retirement is when you can replace your earned income with passive income so that you can continue to live, even though you don't have to get up and have a W-2 job. So you have to have cash flow. Most people are looking to build a big pile of money and then live off that pile of money until they die. Their goal then has to be, if you think about this logically, the goal has to be die before you run out of money because you're not adding any more money to the pile. You're just trying to live off of it as long as you can. And you're hoping you don't outlive your money, right? That has to be the goal. But it also means you have to save for a very, very, very long time to get past the savings life ratio break even point. What do I mean by that? Well, I remember when I had my first million dollars and I was, 35 years old or something like that. And I thought, okay, I'm a millionaire. I'm 35. I quit working now. What happens if I can't make any more money in my investments? I have to live off my million dollars. Well, since I live in about $100,000 a year, that's not going to last very long. So I haven't broke that ratio yet. When I got up to where I had like $20 million and I was already in like my 40s, close maybe 50. 
And I thought, you know what? No man in my life has lived past 65. No male in my family has lived past 60, actually 66. My uncle corrected me. 66 or 67 years of age. And I'm 50 and I got 20 million. That means I need to survive another 16 years. That means I can live on a million dollars a year and not even touch all 20 million. I leave my wife three million to live on the rest of her life after I'm dead. I go, I got it. The savings ratio to life lived ratio uh, was in my favor now. But that isn't how I retired. I retired by replacing my earned income with passive income. Think about that. I have people in my seminar go through this exercise. Add up all of the passive income you made last year. Add it all up. Now, figure out what your net worth is. That's how much you're worth, all your assets added up, what you could get your hands on if you sold everything. And divide them in together. And what we find is that most people earn less than one thousandth of a percent. You are doing really, really well if you even earn one percent on your money in the totality of your entire life's net worth. One to three percent and you're doing great. Six percent, you're a genius, right? And you say, well, that's ridiculous. I'm making 100%. I'm making 42% in the stock. No, you had a few stocks that made 42%. You didn't make 42%. You have money, debt equity sitting in your house, debt equity sitting in your 401k. In fact, you're counting money in your 401k as part of that profit you didn't even receive. And why can you not count it? Because what if it goes away tomorrow? It was a number put on a piece of paper. And if you woke up today, the stock market was down again. So that number went down. I talked to a guy the other day, he emailed me, and I said, look, this is really problematic. You need to call me. And we got on the phone. The guy's in six different deals. He said, I'm in six different deals. I haven't got any cash flow yet. And, and I, I said, well, why did you do that? <laughs> he was like, well, well, I thought that that's what the whole thing was, that these deals would stay in place forever and ever and pay cash flow forever and ever and ever. And I said, well, some of them do. Why did you pick the ones that didn't? And he goes, well, they were really good people. Uh, the, the particular syndicators, which we call lead investors here, were really good people. And I really trusted them, so I went ahead and invested with them. And I understand his point, you know. These people have reputations as being good investors. However, even when you have a reputation of being a good investor, you have to realize that these lead investors slash syndicators, they're making cash flow from day one. They're getting paid management fees. They don't care if the deal doesn't cash flow right away. That's no skin off their teeth. So we'll talk about that more when we come back. We'll be right back with the Del Wams Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. I created these case studies 30 years ago for this reason. You're the accountant. You're the CPA. You're the, the engineer, the IT guy. Do you follow what I'm saying? You're that little quiet cubicle guy. And you don't see yourself as a rich millionaire. So I have to bring the cubicle people up here. And you go, honey, look, he's got the same shoes I have on, right? And he speaks in the same language that I speak in. And you've got to be able to see somebody you can relate to. 
or relate with for this to work. Part of the reason I want you to speak to other people is because half of your, I'd say, challenge is that you don't believe you can be rich, is that you don't believe you can retire within five years. Until you can reconcile that in your mind, you won't be willing to take the steps necessary to get there. Join us today. Check for in-person and online dates at lukstudy.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. As we went to break, we were talking about um, how syndicators don't necessarily have their goals aligned with yours. Uh, how do why do I say that? Well, a syndicator can put together a deal, and they're going to make cash flow off of it right away. They've got the management fee coming out of the deal and the asset management fee coming out of the deal. So the more units they can buy, whether those units make money or not, whether they have cash flow or not, is going to be more money in their pocket. Now, that is not true for you. The more units they buy, it's probably true, the less money you're going to make. Because think about it. They have less time to spend on your investment. I've made this joke about it. And, you know, in this day and age, you can't tell off-color jokes anymore. But I'll try it and see how badly I get beat up over it. But, ladies, think about this. You're you're married to your husband. And your husband's going, you know, honey, uh, I think I'd like to go out and invest in another wife. I'd like to get maybe one or two more wives And you go, look, you're not even good to me. You don't financially support me. There's no cash flow to me. You don't have give me enough time to to, to spend together. You don't spend enough time with our kids. How are you possibly going to go start another relationship and pay me and our kids and pay that woman and her kids and come up with more time to spend between the two of us? And the answer is you can't. There's only so much time to spend between multiple different groups of people. And so myself, I just don't see the benefit of getting with people that have lots and lots and lots of units. They say there's economics of scale. I think when you look at it, there's economics of scale to go from 50 to 100 units. There's economics of scale to go from 100 to 200, maybe 250 units. Um, But you really have to get big to have economics of scale to go bigger than that. And then the downside of being that large there are diseconomics to scale. In other words, if I'm a syndicator and I have an apartment complex and I have one great manager, and that manager just pumping out the cash flow for myself and my partners, that's great. Now I go do a second deal, and what happens? I get a bad manager. Because why? Well, because there's just not that many great managers out there, maybe. Or maybe I can't find them. Or maybe I have to pay more to get them. Whatever it is, the odds of me being as good on my second and third and fourth deal are much less than the odds of me being good on my first deal. I've seen it forever. I tell people all the time, I'd rather invest with brand new beginners because they listen to what I say. They're aggressive. They want to get the job done and they want to do it the right way. And they're willing to get in there and get it done. Whereas 
after you've got a couple successes under your belt, you start to fall in love with yourself and you start to believe you have the Midas touch, which for those of you who don't listen to nursery rhymes, King Midas, everything you touch turned to gold. And people start to think that everything they touch starts to turn to gold. Uh, the problem with that is, is that eventually King Midas starved because he started everything he'd eat with, you know, turn every time he'd take food and try to eat it, it turned to gold. And so he couldn't eat and he starved to death. Moral of the story, right? You don't want everything to turn to gold. Well, irrespective of that, the bottom line is this. When you look into these deals, these syndication deals, you've got to realize you're there for the cash flow. And if you're not, and they tell you, well, we're not going to have any cash flow for six months, we're not going to have any cash flow for a year, I wouldn't get in that deal. And you say, well, Dell, aren't you in these deals? I'm in deals, but all the deals I'm in are cash flowing. Not because I'm in them, because I'm not managing those deals. There's other deals, passive deals I'm in that other people manage, and all of them cash flow. Why? Because I picked deals that would cash flow, which is very interesting. So let's talk about the only thing worse than no cash flow out of a deal. Now think about it. There is such a thing as no, you, you invest in something, you get nothing. When you invest in gold, how much do you get as far as cash flow? Zero. You invest in silver, what do you get for cash flow? Zero. You put your money into an IRA, what do you get each month out of your IRA? Zero. You put money into your 401k each month, what do you get out of it? Zero. But wait, there's more. You actually have negative cash flow in your 401k. What do I mean by negative cash flow? Well, don't you have to pay into it every month? So as my one rent house pays me $500 a month cash flow each month, your 401k takes $500 a month out of your paycheck. I think that's worse than no cash flow. That's negative cash flow from the quality of your life. And I'm looking for positive growth in the quality of my life, not negative growth in the quality of my life. And so I don't have a 401k. And by the way, I do have an IRA, just to be honest about it. I bought one when I was 20 years old, had no idea what I was doing. My dad told me I had to have one, so I bought one. And I've kept it for, let's see, I'm 66, so that's 46 years. And in 46 years, it's still worth nothing. 46 years of having an IRA. I put $2,000 in, which was, I think, the max you could put in, and it's not worth squat. It's gone up in value. And then it came back down in value, went up in value, and then went back down in value, and on and on and on and on. If I would have taken that $2,000 and put it in a house, I would have made a million bucks off of it right now. Just looking back at what I've done with the 2000 I put in the first rent house I put in, or that I purchased. You know, there is such a thing as even worse than no cash flow, and that's your 401k. When we look at these situations, and we say, well, why is there no cash flow? There's a multitude of reasons why there's no cash flow on a deal. But they quite simply all break down to there's less income than there is expenses. And you could have expenses at the level of the operating property. You know, your taxes are too high. Your insurance is too high. They didn't anticipate that from the beginning. Um, you could have the fact that you're a bad operator, and so you have lots of turnover. People leave all the time. Your tenants just move out. You know, they move in, they stay six months, they move out. And so you're constantly doing make readies, which costs, there's nothing more expensive than doing make readies. And massive turnover will always kill the operational profitability of a property. And so you, you're, you're in with a, a syndicator, it's a bad operator, or maybe you're yourself a bad operator and you own your own property, it's not doing well. 
Um, so you've got those fixed costs like taxes and insurance. You've got those variable costs like turnover costs. You've got payroll costs, if you don't know how to deal with payroll costs. Insurance costs that are very variable. Uh, they're considered a fixed cost on your income statement, but they're variable. Every year they change uh, and generally get worse. I've had insurance go down a couple years in a row, but not now. It's just too much stuff going on. And so you look at that, but then there's even beyond that once you get to syndication. Once you get to syndication, now you go, well, how much is the syndicator taken out of the deal, right? And now you look at things like, okay, our financing is messed up. We now have to refinance out of a 3 or 4% interest rate loan because our three-year, five-year, or seven-year loan is expired. Now we have to go get into a 5% interest rate loan or a 6% interest rate loan. That's going to kill us, right? So there's interest rate variability and not planned for variability. You know, somebody planned for it. I tell people. In fact, at the Expo, I, I played a 10-minute video of me telling people that interest rates were going to change for the last three years in a row. It's a, I, I had to do it. I just I couldn't believe that people were sitting here dumbfounded that interest rates were going through the ceiling. Everybody that knew anything could see it was going to happen, but the people out there doing business didn't want to tell you because they wanted you to keep buying stuff that you were stuck in. Now there's people stuck in deals they can't get out of. You buy a deal and you get a loan that has a 3% interest rate and the loan, the price of the property qualifies for a 3% interest rate. And then all of a sudden the loan go, is expired and you've got to get a new loan. You can't get the same size loan with five or 6% interest that you had with 3% interest. They're going to make you pay down the loan. So now you have to come to the table with more cash. And most people don't anticipate that as a downside in the future. And so they never should have got into that kind of loan. But they did. Adjustable rate mortgages happen all the time. I tell people don't do it, but that doesn't do any good. Just because I said it doesn't mean anything. I'm just Dell. Dell's nobody. I don't have the master's or doctorate degree in finance, and I'm not on Fox News, or I'm not a financial planner and all that good stuff. I'm just Dell. But I'm the Dell that Rule 1 never lost money, and Rule 2 has cash flow in every deal he has. So I'm kind of proud that my experience has led me to making those kinds of decisions where cash flow is king. People believe that people that are successful are lucky, as opposed to me never getting into a deal that doesn't have cash flow, as opposed to me never getting into a deal that has failed because I picked safer deals with safer investors. Um, they tend to believe that the people that are lucky or that are successful are lucky and the other people are not. And I'm here to tell you that although there is a massive amount of what someone might call luck, there is the reality that times are changing all the time, and you have to be on top of what those changes are, and you have to be able to move and change with them. And sometimes you have to be able to just look and see that this just isn't the right thing to do and not the right time to do it, and that something else is a better thing to do at this particular time and you have to change your plan. That in itself is just as good as being lucky. I like the term, luck is when proper preparation meets opportunity. That's all it is. Proper preparation meets opportunity. If you know what an opportunity looks like, 
and you have prepared yourself to leap on it when it occurs, you're going to get good opportunities and good investments. On the other hand, if you try, if you believe there are no good opportunities, you're going to fail. If you don't know what a good opportunity looks like, you're going to fail. And if you just try to force things into being a good opportunity, you're going to fail. But let us get into this email, and I'll try to take it apart sentence by sentence and show you what I mean by this. Uh, he starts out and he says, hello, Dell. Uh, the more I listen to success stories, whether it be in real estate, stocks, crypto, basically any type of investment, one thing that they all have in common is that the tool, it took action, and they got lucky. They took action, and they got lucky. You tell your story all the time about how the 80s you used credit cards to buy small single-family homes and were pushed into it by your mentor. As you explained, that cannot be done today, and homes are cheap and are not available anymore. Yet, at the same token, we buy homes all the time. We have the same kind of profits and rates of return, although the numbers are way bigger. We're still getting massive rates of return on these single-family homes. It's still available and still happening. And no, you can't use credit cards anymore, but if I couldn't have used credit cards, I would have found another way to do it. I just did the credit cards because I thought it was neat that I didn't have to come out of my pocket with any money. Remember, I still had money in the stock market. I could have pulled that money out. So he's a little wrong there, but that's okay. He's making a point that he believes is true. All the people on Teldell are already rich and can afford to throw half a million or more uh, than a million on a real estate and forget about it until it pays out. Uh, that is not completely true. There are people that come in that don't have millions of dollars. But when you get massive rates of return on very large amounts of money, it is very impressive. And we do like to highlight those stories. But there are people out there that start with very small amounts, and they get high rates of return on those and build their way up into those situations. In fact, how do you think those people with massive amounts of money ended up getting it? By working and saving. I saved up and invested $100,000 passively in a deal with, and I'm not going to say the guy's name, although I'd love to. My God, I'd love to. Uh, and he hasn't paid out a single penny over two years because he used an adjustable rate mortgage. By the way, I told you not to use those. By the way, I've told you for three years not to use those. And when interest rates went up, there went the cash flow. Though if I had invested that $100,000 with him in 2008, I would have made 20% cash flow and a $200,000 capital gain in two years and done it again. Um, and been on my way to becoming rich. And that's absolutely true. This gentleman did get those kinds of returns way back then. And then he did make a mistake. Now, what he's not telling you here is that this gentleman left Lifestyles Unlimited because I had a difference of opinion with him. And he got what I thought was arrogant about he thought he could never fail. And then he did. And then all of a sudden there was all kinds of deals. Once he left Lifestyles, there was all kinds of deals that didn't make money all of a sudden. And again, I'm not going to give you his name, but I know you out there, they're listening. They're Lifestyles. People know who I'm talking about. And you know it's true. In fact, I was at an event the other day, and a guy sat down. We spent an hour with me telling me how badly this person was doing. In fact, they told me how he had changed from the guy he thought was a very good operator, a very good business person, humble. Well, never really humble, but he was a nice guy uh, when he was here at Lifestyles. And then he just totally changed. Well, what the guy did was he started hanging out with a guy named Grant Cardone. But he started believing that this guy had the secret to success, and so he took on his personality and his approach to life. So this guy's saying, once he left Lifestyles, he stopped paying. Well, I know many, many, many people say the same thing. He stopped paying just about everybody. I don't know, maybe not everybody, but everybody I've talked to. Remember, the people only come to me to complain, right? 
He said there are REIT companies buying up every single family property instantly that makes good rentals. That's not true. The story is this. Commercial investment corporations, REITs, only own about 20% of all the rental properties in the country. Not 80, 90% like this guy seems to think. They only own like 20%. There's tons and tons of properties out there they don't touch. Uh, Though with the down payment and interest rates today, any money I invest would be gone until I make the positive return years, years later. And I need that money to survive. Very good point. Nothing wrong with that point, uh, except that he's investing in stuff that has no cash flow. If he would invest in stuff, like I said earlier today, in cash flow stuff, like the houses I talked about, his his argument would not hold water. When I hear other people that have made millions in the stock market and crypto and no longer good investments, they all have done so, taking action and being lucky at the right time. So really, it's all about luck. If you were born later and worked at a gym now, you wouldn't have been able to do what you did. Well, my friend, it's not just about luck, although it seems like it. Brett, you out there. Remember this. Today, it's the cash flow. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.